Good afternoon and welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show. Today is Friday, September 23rd. Thank God it's Friday. We're heading into the weekend. And uh, we got a lot of stuff at Hot Air for you. By the way, we've got the first, we get the latest episode, excuse me, of the Amiable Skeptics for our VIP members. That's featuring Adam Baldwin, my my very good friend and uh, and Hollywood longtime Hollywood star who is uh, now opining on political matters uh, again. He was at Breitbart years ago. Uh, doing some writing over there. Now we're doing video shows here at Hot Air. Uh, he and I are doing those together and we're having some great conversations. So be sure to check out The Amiable Skeptics and uh, join our VIP program. We'll have some information on you at the end of today's podcast as to how to do that if you haven't already found out. By the way, you can use the code skeptics and get 25% off. So you should do that. Um, <laughs> at any rate, uh, it is, uh, it is another busy day here. We've just had some breaking news come across, uh, the Washington post reporting that career prosecutors at the department of justice are telling the department are telling the department of justice that they don't have a viable case against representative Matt Gates, who's been under uh, a cloud of suspicion now for quite some time over sex trafficking charges over, um, charges that he, uh, had sex with an underage girl. Um, this was part of an investigation into uh, one of his friends, Joel Greenberg, who's also a uh, political uh, crony for Gates. Um, this doesn't necessarily let Gates entirely off the hook for criticism, but it's pretty apparent that the Department of Justice never did have a case. And the what the Post is saying is that the, the prosecutors are telling uh, the upstairs folks that the, that the witnesses that they have are not reliable. Well, yeah, one of them is Greenberg. <laughs> Greenberg, the reason why they were checking Greenberg out in the first place is because Greenberg was uh, was attempting to blackmail one of his political opponents by smearing him with untrue allegations of uh, of sexual misconduct. <laughs> that was going to be their big witness against Matt Gates. Um, also, they knew months ago that the um, that the person who was um, the woman who was at the center of the allegation against Gates was actually 18 at the time that she traveled with Gates, which again, you can criticize whether or not Gates should have been with her in 18, should have been with an 18 year old on a trip. I believe it was to the Bahamas, but there's nothing illegal um, about having, uh, having sex with another adult. Again, you can, there's all sorts of moral criticisms, criticisms you can make, but there's nothing illegal about it. And so the idea that this was a viable case seemed to be, months old uh in dying i mean it just it just didn't make any sense we've been talking about this now for quite some time so apparently reality has caught up over there uh another big story and again i wrote about that i wrote about uh, joe biden saying that the catholic church no longer teaches about abortion um uh, about uh, abortion no abortion under any circumstances he was uh criticizing lindsey graham's bill at uh the 15 week abortion limit um for not having uh, exceptions for incest and rape. My understanding is that it actually does have those exceptions, but even so Joe Biden is saying, you know, not even the Catholic church teaches that anymore. Well, <laughs> sheer nonsense. The Catholic church's teaching on abortion has not changed at all, period. Uh, in 2000 years, you go, want to go back to the, uh, the Didache and you can find out when that started at least, which was around AD 70. Uh, in which it explicitly states that abortion is evil and uh, that Christians cannot do it. 
And that was the very first catechism, if you will, of the of the Christian faith in the in the Catholic Church. And uh, it still stands to this day. There's plenty of writings that go back into the first and second and third centuries on this. I covered it when I was talking about the Joe Scarborough um, uh, piece. It was a couple of weeks ago or you know, the segment from Morning Joe in which he said that um, Jesus uh, never talked about abortion. And so Christians don't really have a case against it. <laughs> that wasn't the... That wasn't the idea from from the very first apostles of the faith. Again, going back to the Didache, going back to some of the early doctors of the church. Um, so, I have a, a a lengthy rebuttal, mostly just citations, but it's a lengthy rebuttal nonetheless. And I hope you get a chance to um, to watch that. My colleague David Strom and I both are talking about Stacey Abrams's. Um, uh, claim yesterday that ultrasound machines manufacture fetal heartbeats at uh, at six weeks and that they do so uh, deliberately in order to uh, support the con- uh, in order to allow men to control women's bodies. Um, it's an insane conspiracy theory. Fact checkers are are not touching the conspiracy theory part of this. They're trying to claim that she's got a point about the ultrasound machines, which is nonsense. They they're claiming, oh well, the ultrasound machines are just picking up on the electrical signals from cardiac tissue that's forming. Uh, no, <laughs> ultrasounds don't pick up on electrical signals. They pick up on motion and mass, and that is exactly what they're. That's exactly what the ultrasound machines are interpreting. But even if that were not the case. The point is, is not that we, is not that the the people who believe or who support fetal heartbeat laws think that the heart is fully formed or any of the organs are fully formed at six weeks. That's nonsense. What they're based on, however, is uh, an argument against the pro-abortion argument that all this is is an undifferentiated clump of cells until much farther in uh, the gestation. It's clearly not the case. Uh, we know that scientifically, anyway. But the fetal heartbeat that ultrasounds can pick up is A, organic, and B, shows that the differentiation has already started to take place and that this is human tissue, it's a human being. And that's the point of the fetal heartbeat law is that there is a marker that tells you that at least at this point you can say there's differentiation because we're already seeing cardiac activity in the embryo. And so, I mean, the whole thing misses a point. The fact checks miss a point. Everything in this thing misses the point. And <laughs> frankly, even the fetal heartbeat laws tend to miss the point too, because a lot of pro-life uh, advocates will tell you the issue isn't when you abort the baby. The issue is aborting the baby at all. And it doesn't matter if it's at six weeks or four weeks or three weeks or two weeks. It's a human life from the moment of conception, which is the reason why uh, quite a few pro-life advocates do not support fetal heartbeat laws or 15-week limit laws. Uh, those are compromises on the principle. They may be politically necessary compromises, and we've talked about that quite a bit. But nevertheless, that's not what they're fighting over. They're fighting over protecting the baby from the moment of conception, because that is scientifically when human life starts. Uh, and it's the fetal heartbeat is just simply the first observable marker of that type of differentiation. And so that's that's the that's the point that's made in these fetal heartbeat laws. It's a point that everybody missed in the debate. David Strom and I both discuss it. We both got posts up at that right now. Karen has a uh, fun post from last night, by the way, uh, that uh, Biden got lost on the stage at the Global Fund Conference and uh, the South Korean president committed a pretty bad faux pas 
at the same event. I also talk about the Russian referenda this morning. Uh, they're starting to uh, get people to vote. They're actually apparently going door to door and forcing them to vote at gunpoint, um, according to ABC News and according to a couple of other reports. Um, and that's bad enough, but the, it's backfiring anyway inside Russia. Nobody is happy about this mobilization. You've got uh, Russian men on the run to the border. They're doing the whole Taco Bell thing out there, trying to get out of the country. Uh, you've got police uh, impressing, uh, impressment, by the way, is just forcing people into military service. Uh, you know, back in the old days, we would call it shanghaiing them. Uh, we don't call it that anymore, but we call it impressment. And they're, and, and they're conducting impressment campaigns all across Russia. Uh, they're fanning out, they're, they're uh, handing out draft notices and giving men just a couple of hours to comply with them. And so that is how they're going to build their, their new units. And as I have talked about a couple of times over the past couple of days, uh, those units are not going to be effective. And in fact, as somebody said on, on Twitter, and I wish I'd been able to come up with this analogy on my own, it's like rounding up the arsonists and, uh, and pressing them into service as firefighters. It is not a good idea. It is likely to completely backfire. Um, they're certainly not going to be effective as combat troops. You're likely to see a lot of fragging going on and a lot of people trying to um, use the opportunity to either surrender to uh, Ukraine or to just get out of the entire theater and find uh, places, perhaps Turkey, uh, perhaps other places where they can find refuge. Um, in, in the meantime, the families of these men are going to be irate. And Putin is really facing a serious, serious crisis of his own making here because he refuses to recognize the fact that his war has failed. Um, and he can't afford to recognize that effect, that fact, apparently, because the people who prop him up will probably kill him, which is the, <laughs> the usual end for um, oligarch-driven uh, autocracies. And uh, this is um, apparently going to be one of those moments. So with all of that going on, there's plenty going on at Hot Air. Matt Vespa, by the way, has a great VIP column up today about the uh, North Dakota murderer um, who ran down an 18-year-old kid in his car and who got out on $50,000 bail. Uh, that is um, uh, Matt Vespa's VIP column. We get, hope you get a chance to read that. Lots of stuff coming up. Uh, there'll be more stuff coming up all during the day. But right now, we're going to do a little change of pace. We're going to talk to Harry Crocker from Regnery. That's a Salem. Um, that's also a Salem unit, um, who's written a new book, and it's a Western. So it's mostly mostly a nice break for the weekend. And I hope that you get a chance to um, read the book. It's a great conversation and it seems like a lot of fun. And it's the third book in a series that uh, reimagines uh, George Armstrong Custer um, as having survived the Battle of the Little Bighorn and his, um, and his adventures afterwards. So uh, this is the third book in the series. Harry Crocker and I have a great conversation. So stay tuned for that. I'll also have my Salem, um, my Salem Radio slash Town Hall commentary up the video version of that which is going to be on salem news now and then of course how you can subscribe to both the ed morrissey show podcast and our vip and vip gold membership clubs i hope you'll join and help support us uh, in the fight against big tech and the fight to get the conservative point of view across without uh, being fettered so stay tuned thanks for watching and uh, enjoy your weekend
Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Great change of pace today. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, fiction again because it is such a good uh, way of getting away from the insanity of politics in the midterms. Joining me is my friend, Harry Crocker. H.W. Crocker is his author's name. His new book, Armstrong and the Mexican Mystery. It's the third book in your um uh, in your uh, uh, Armstrong series, Custer of the West series. And, uh, you know, this is, you know, sort of a change of pace for, for you and, you know, for Regnery. You're an executive at Regnery. You, Regnery is really known for its nonfiction. It's got some great authors there. I love doing author interviews, Harry, with, with folks from, from uh, Regnery. Yeah, um, well, in my own writing career, it's largely been as a historian. I mean, I, had, I did do yeah. another novel early in my career. Um, but what you said about escaping the insanity of our time is precisely why I write books like this now. And it's because I, I just told another interview just earlier today that, you know, I love all these young conservatives who are fighting the good fight. But after being this fight for decades like you have been oh my gosh i just how do you reason with people who think a man can become pregnant or can't define a woman i i've given up on the argument of reason i've written all these you know, big history books but now i'm thinking that's not the way at least for me it's not the way for me the way for me is to take these sort of 20 22 issues put them in sort of 19th century costume and take them back for both comic effect um, but also, you know, a little helps you, a little satire. Um, and I think, though, in some ways, a better effect, because if you can't reason with people, how do you reach them? And I think you have to reach them through the imagination. Well, I think you do. You and I have actually talked about this offline before, right? Which is, uh, you know, right. the, the power of fiction to sort of reset the um, to reset the narratives, right? And it, to reset oddly enough to use fiction to reset reality because you're right i mean i don't know if you were a fan of tom lehrer do you remember tom lehrer way back in the day sure, right? yeah. well yeah. he wrote he wrote at one point or he said at one point that the reason why he stopped doing all of his satirical songs was because making henry kissinger secretary of state uh proved that political satire was dead now obviously lehrer was you know right. a big time liberal but he was still really funny and he, he wrote some great songs. I, I think the idea that a man can be pregnant and that everybody has their own personal set of pronouns really honestly has just made it very difficult to imagine fiction <laughs> being any, any, any weirder than reality. So I think you're right. I think there's a real, there's a real possibility here for framing an argument in fiction that you just don't get anymore trying to tackle these things head on. So in uh, Armstrong and the Mexican Mystery, tell us a little bit about what your approach is there. What, what is, is this just escapism or are you trying to frame some of these issues in a more um, accessible way? Yeah, the latter. Um, I will say, primarily, these books are entertainment. Sure. They're meant to be funny adventure stories. The takeoff in book one is that Arm, uh, George Armstrong Custer has survived the Battle of Little Bighorn, and it tells you how that happened, and he becomes the sort of do-gooder in the West under his assumed identity of Marshall Armstrong Armstrong. And 
in book one, it's largely that part. Book one is more of a traditional Western, but it does have a few of these satirical elements woven through, but I think very subtly. Book two uh, is a very political book. Again, it's beneath the surface, all comedy adventure. But book two is actually a meant to be, <laughs> underneath it all, a profound reflection on politics, a sort of Machiavellian view of American politics um, as it is now. And book three, the one without now, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but it is, um, again, it's all kind of, it's not just a Western, it's a little bit science fiction-y this time. It's it's kind of over the top, but the evil villain is a guy named Falcon, who runs this grand criminal conspiracy, <laughs> who uh, worships the science. He's a philosopher, and he wants to subvert all these governments. And uh, Custer actually goes to literal war with him, this giant war underneath the earth. But the themes that come through are, it is really about the war between scientism and actually reality, right. or the war between secular humanism and Christianity, which you know, these are sort of the underlying things of the political battles of our time now, or the sort of lockdown state and the justifications for that. All that is actually underneath all the surface comedy and drama and action of the of the story. Um, but it, I will t- warn you, <laughs> it actually has some other real-life people in it, too, not just Custer. Ambrose Bierce, right. for people who might remember him, the Saturday, he plays in it. So, and as a, another leading figure is a Vatican secret agent, this this priest. All right, that, also, now, you're, now you're talking. This is this is right up my alley yeah. now. All right, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> he's also, he designed submarines. <laughs> so, um, but there's this vibe, there's this play between... Bierce, who was a famous sort of skeptic, right, and the priest, and Custer, who's sort of following along. Um, so you have all the sort of different levels of byplay. You've got the gunplay, you've got lots of gunplay, you've got lots of action, you've got lots of comedy, but there are some really, um, I hope, twists and turns and deeper issues that people can get out of it in an enjoyable way, not in a preachy way. A, a fun way. Right. You know, and that's, I mean, that's the idea. Again, it's entertaining, but, you know, Falcon, I mean, th- that's, that's brilliant. First off, <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Um, using Ambrose Bierce, I think, is just to bring back Ambrose Bierce a little bit back into, um, back into the American consciousness, I think is actually a, a good move anyway. I mean, I think we probably are a little bit more familiar with Mencken, H.L. Mencken, in terms of, yeah, right. in terms of, you know, cynicism and skepticism probably cynicism in Mencken's case, um, but enjoyable, humorous, uh, you know, cynicism. And I think Bierce sort of occupied that role in the 19th century, the way that Mencken did in the 20th. Um, so that's, that's fun too. I mean, it sounds like a, it sounds like an awful lot of fun. Um, but yes, I mean, I think that this is, you know, the, the whole scientism versus reality thing, I think is, um, yeah, I, I, you know, honestly, Harry, I'd just be happy if they pick one. <laughs> you know, if we're going to do scientism, then don't tell me that men can get pregnant. If we're going to do men can get pregnant, then don't tell me about scientism. But, you know, pick one. <laughs> pick one. Let's go with that. Well, part of it, Tim, is it, it, that's part of it. The other thing is how history is rewritten. And that's what yeah. these books are about, too, in a way. Because Custer was a famous Civil War general. Union general, but he likes Southerners. He went to a Confederate 
officer's wedding during the war yeah. <laughs> and flirted with the Southern Bells who tried to convert him to the Confederate cause. Um, he was a force for reconciliation after the war. And that sort of history also plays into these books. Yeah. Ambrose Beers was, in fact, a Union officer. That's something he and Custer have in common in the book. And in both cases, they were men who um, respected their Southern uh, adversaries. And I think that I did, this is something that's blown my mind in, in the way we look at American history now. Yeah. And you're living now in Texas, but it, it wasn't so very long ago, certainly within our lifetimes, that the American Civil War was regarded as the American Iliad with heroes on both sides. And you had liberal establishment Harvard historians, good ones, actually, like Samuel Elliott Morrison, and Henry Stilcomager, who would say, oh, yeah, well, those Southerners, they were great. They're always flamboyant American heroes. Like, who could be more noble than Lee? Who could be more dashing than Jeb Stewart? Who could be you know, more interesting than Stonewall Jackson while also venerating Lincoln and Grant and Sheridan and so on? Um, but that has been lost. And I, I don't, this, I, it, it is shocking to me how not only have we sacrificed the Confederates, we've sacrificed almost inevitably many of the founders because of that. Right. Um, I mean, George Washington was under the great seal of the Confederacy. And, Thomas Jefferson was the most cited political philosopher in the Confederacy. Um, but also, of course, the Union guys go down, too, because now who are they? Well, if, if, the, if the Confederates are always racist, well, the, you know, the Union guys aren't any better because they were fighting Indians after the war. Right. And Lincoln wanted to clear out you know, the West for the for settlers. So I, I don't understand how we've lost this patriotic, unifying view of American history. And that's another theme in these books. They are about politics. They are just you know, wild west westerns, but they are also making a historical argument and trying to renew our own historical memory of what um, what it was really like. I mean, I've written a lot yeah. about the Civil War. So these books are actually, I will say, accurate on all points they make about the Civil War. You know, Harry, I, I, you know, Bill Maher brought this up actually, and I think that this is becoming. A bigger issue, at least becoming more a more acute issue, which is the issue of presentism, right? Which is applying yeah. today's values to figures of the past, ignoring the context in which they operated. And Bill Maher actually, I think it was just this past weekend, actually had a pretty good rant about this and and how damaging that was. Now I have to tell you that I've always been annoyed with the whole lost cause thing and the sort of the clinging to the Confederacy and some of the Confederate symbols. That's always been an issue for me. I've never liked that. But I could see how this was going to get out of hand, right? So I think that, you know, this is the reason why you don't do things in a mob fashion. You sit down, you have discussions about what, what history means, and you just make sure that you're presenting a sort of warts and all history. So you're presenting right. the you're presenting history as it was. You don't throw out all the good to just focus on the bad, just the same way you wouldn't want to throw out all the bad, just so you're focusing on the good. And I think that that's what we've lost. We we this presentism has just been uh, getting worse and worse and worse to the point where we're just our society is becoming annihilationist. And this is something that's been going on, not just in this context, not just in the Civil War context or the Revolutionary War context, 
but it's been going on in the Western Civ context for decades, especially in academia. I mean, the the whole entirety of Western civilization is just being either ignored or contradicted on the basis of flaws without any without any recognition at all of the huge uh, cultural and intellectual value that it leaves us in this day and age. And the problem with that is that our, the institutions of our Republic are built on all of those Western civilizations, you know, from the Greeks, the Romans, all the way through the enlightenment. That's what we're built on. And if you don't teach that people don't understand it. Yeah, no, um, this is actually also part of Armstrong Mexican mystery because the evil guy, Falcon, actually goes on about how you overthrow a civilization. That's one of his goals. And um, he inadvertently quotes Kierkegaard. (laughs) Kierkegaard (laughs) said that um, the greatest revolutions are not those that that necessarily destroy things. Destruction may be part of it. But it's it's something, a a revolution that leaves the institutions standing and drains them of meaning. Yes. And so if you look, at like the Pentagon now, conservatives love supporting our troops, but then we see what's all this woke stuff going on. You, I mean, the, the Marine Corps having like a rainbow-colored flag for what? Right. What? Or you know, law and order, the FBI or the CIA or higher education is not what it used to be. But the problem is, if you let the left allow the left to take over these institutions and don't take them back. Well, guess what? You can set up all the new independent institutions you want to, but most people take their opinions from institutions. And this is a huge problem for us, is that the the natural conservative instinct, I've moved all the way here to Mississippi to get away from the woke people. But of course, you can only go so far, right? Right. And I moved to Texas. They're not. (laughs) I moved to Texas. They won't let you go. They won't let you go. Every, every time you flip on a baseball game on TV, they're going to hit you with their preachy commercials, right? They're going to get you in one way or right. the other. And so unless you take these things back, unless you fight to win the culture war, the war at every level, um, you, I mean, we are in a dire state in this country. Yeah. And it may seem, it may seem, you know, I don't know, um, super, not super, it may seem silly to try to deal with these issues, as we were discussing in the beginning, in a novel. But I do find this is the best way. How did how did people behind the Iron Curtain maintain their sanity and their hope when they faced even far worse challenges than we do today? They maintained it through religion, and they maintained it through keeping their imaginations free as far as they could. Right. And that's what we need to do. We need, to, I think, to keep our imaginations free Remember who our heroes are. Remember what our values are, our touch points in history, all those sorts of things which come from the imagination, nurturing the imagination, um, and not aside from reading the newspapers constantly. Yeah, well, unfortunately, that's my job. But, you know, I, you know. (laughs) And Salem pays. It's part of my my job, too. And (laughs) my blood pressure, you know, is is getting out of control whenever that happens. (laughs) But, uh, but the more you can get away from it, the better. Well, Salem pays me well to do that. 
I'm, <laughs> Salem pays you well. I mean, Regnery's part. I you know should, should be full disclosure. Regnery obviously is 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 a, a unit of Salem Media, which is uh, you know which owns Hot Air and and employs me. And so just to get that out of the way, but uh, but look, I mean, when we're talking about the uh, we're talking about the Armstrong mysteries here, the the Armstrong books. Um, this sounds to me like it's going to be the one that's uh, maybe the most um, assertive in in advancing these cultural arguments. The one that is really maybe more framed to do that. Um, how do you think that um, readers are going to uh, react to that? Do you think that that's something that is really going to be a compelling thing? And and, and I guess the the, the, se the second half of that question is. Is there even really any room for just sheer escapist fiction anymore? Because I think you mentioned woke. I mean, you take a look at what's going on and, you know, the the stuff that's going on on television series and movies. And I mean, I think the last unwoke, you know, movie I saw, well, you know, actually, I, I could say this. Top Gun Maverick was pretty unwoke. It was almost entirely unwoke. Um, you know, maybe Bullet Train. <laughs> It's pretty unwoke, but you know that's that's a that's a whole other it's a whole other animal. But I mean, you you know what I'm talking about. I think there's an expectation now that yeah. No, I, I will say I hope this is a good thing. And in, in a way, is that the first two books in the series were greeted by readers as that escapism. Good. Um, and with each book, I've I've tried to ratchet up or or make slightly more obvious the serious aspects of the book. But I still think for many people, and I'm. We're perfectly happy with this. We deserve our escapism. So. That's what the books will be. The books will be escapism. The hero wins. The, the men are manly. The women are feminine. <laughs> um, and you have some fun with them. I mean, they, they, it's, it's a little bit of alternative history and all that sort of thing going on. Um, but for those who want it, it's there. There are lots of cultural references. There are lots of literary, philosophical, political, religious references, especially in this last one. It's... Well, I guess I can say this to you, Ed. This last book gets really Catholic. Oh, wow. um, okay. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, you know, it takes place in, in Mexico. The evil guy, one of his, it takes place in Mexican history of the Waristas. Waristas is a wage sort of war against the church. That's right. That's part of the book. Um, so, uh, anyways, I think I think someone like you in particular would like this book. All right. Well, you know, you're selling me on this <laughs> all day long, man. And the only, only problem is, is that you know I'm chained to my desk and I'm eyeballing news sites all day long. I got to figure out a way to to get some to get some so, work life balance to do the a, fiction thing. Are, are you a Kindle guy or a book guy? I'm a Kindle guy these days. I, you know, I, I'm actually a Kindle okay. guy. Do I have a deal for you then? I'm a book oh, guy. Oh, all right, but. <laughs> But on Amazon right now, I just found this out today. Amazon has put on a special deal where you can get all three of the Armstrong novels for under twenty bucks. Oh, I mean, wow. all three together for under twenty bucks. So can't beat that. No, you can't beat that. I think I'm going to go over there and do that. You know, I, 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 you know, the thing is, is that I love fiction, right? And I rarely get a chance now to read it, but I, I love fiction. I love reading, and so this. I think you've sold me on this, Harry, and I'm, I, I think you've probably sold the, the the viewers on this too. It sounds very interesting. So obviously, Amazon. Well, I can will find say this Amazon. too: that every book sold keeps a Crocker child in a Catholic school. 
<laughs> well, now you've really sold me on this. I, I, I have to contribute to that fund. I almost feel like I'd have to go to confession if I didn't contribute to that fund. Um, so yeah, support your local Crocker child. That's what, that's what we're, that's what we're saying. That's a whole different Western though. That's a whole different Western. That's a, that's a James Garner Western. We're not doing that one today. Um, but, um, so Amazon, assuming that this is also in bookstores, you know, actual brick and mortar books, yeah. bookstores. So you it can should find be everywhere. It yeah. Should be everywhere. Just like Regnery. Regnery's everywhere. You know, as long as I got you here, we've got a minute or so left. Why don't you tell us what's coming up next at Regnery, other than your book? Oh, well, we got uh, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, a little bit down the pike, Dinesh uh -huh. D'Souza, David Lembaugh out now with a big book. I interviewed um, David. I, I interviewed David for that book. I, David's a friend of mine. So, you know, I, and we had a great conversation about that book. It's a fascinating look at Paul's epistles. I'm, I, I, I was really happy to see that. Yeah, yeah. So in my day job, we try to save America. And in my weekend job, I try to save America through fiction. There you go. All right. Well, Harry Crocker, H.W. Crocker. And uh, the books, in the, the book is in the um, bookstores right now, Amazon, Armstrong and the Mexican Mystery. But you should get all three at the same time. If you haven't bought one yet, buy all three at the same time on Kindle. You can get it for under also, 20 bucks. I just found out it's Hispanic Heritage Month. So Armstrong and the Mexican Mystery is very fitting, I think. And I'll give another plot point away. There are so many plot points. It doesn't really matter if I get, how many I give away. In, in Custer encounters in this book the long-lost descendants of the conquistadors, some of the conquistadors, oh. who have been enslaved by Falcon and have this underground Catholic being suppressed by him that, cult that Custer helps liberate. There you go. Another plot point. Another reason go. for you to buy the book. <laughs> Armstrong and the Mex Mexican Mystery and... Uh, the third installment in the Custer of the West series. Be sure to get all three while you still can. Harry, thanks so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Ed. Stand by for another message from the Ed Morrissey Show coming up next. This is Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com for Town Hall. Until now, national media outlets have kept a tight lid on the border crisis and Joe Biden's failures to put an end to it. Instead, national media has attempted to turn the midterms into referendums on Donald Trump and abortion. The buses and flights of migrants to key media centers such as Washington, D.C. and New York City have punctured those pretenses. Axios reports that Google searches on abortion and Mar-a-Lago have suddenly decreased, but that searches on the border crisis have vaulted into the top 10 of all searches. These media outlets have heavily criticized Republican governors like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott for conducting stunts. However, these transports have forced so-called sanctuary cities into declaring emergencies over tiny fractions of the traffic border states get every day. And those emergencies have forced the media to cover what it should have covered all along. DeSantis and Abbott have reset the midterms and its coverage to its proper basis on Joe Biden, Democrat control of Washington and its disastrous results. I'm Ed Morrissey. Thank you for watching or listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and through the Town Hall Media Player, or you can just come to hotair.com and watch my podcast for free. However, I'd also love to have you join us as members of our VIP and VIP Gold programs. 
That allows us to defeat the stranglehold that big tech has on information and get you the best information that we possibly can. Plus, we have a lot of new value-added content coming to us from Town Hall Media uh, stars and my good friend Adam Baldwin. He and I are doing the video series, The Amiable Skeptics. It's one hour of discussion a week strictly for our VIP and VIP Gold members. Plus, we have our VIP Gold chat with Kim Edwards every Wednesday afternoon at 1.30 p.m. We'd love to have you as members. Be sure to join up. Thanks again for watching the Ed Morrissey Show podcast.